All right, good morning, everybody. If you turn your Bibles to Second Chronicles 26, that's where we'll be this morning. 26. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you for letting us get together and sing and uh, worship you, um, not only in the song and in prayer right now, but also in the, in the receiving of your word. So open our hearts um, and would you teach us everything you have for us by your spirit, that we just uh, enjoy it, love it, relish it, and uh, stay with you throughout, well, all the way till we die, um, that we wouldn't, in the end, fade away from you, Lord. That's what we keep reading in these Kings. And uh, Lord, help us to learn in Jesus' name. Amen. Got another one today. Another king that starts off well and fades at the end. Um, It's disappointing, um, but very instructive. In the New Testament, we're told that the Old Testament was written for our admonition. Very honest biographies. about these men and women that lived, and we get to learn from their mistakes, or we're at least supposed to be able to. And last week we had Amaziah, and he he did okay. Remember, as long as um, he was doing what the priest or his uh, friend or his boss or whatever was saying and was following him, but towards the end he kind of faded. Um, now it's his son taking his place, and his son does the same thing. Um, and I don't think it has to be like that. Here's what I take away from this before we even get started is that when the scriptures tell us that, you know, the sins of the son rest on the son and the sins of the father rest on the father, and you're not going to pay for somebody else's sins, basically also talks about how he visits uh, the iniquity to the third and fourth generation. You know, those kind of scriptures that come up were kind of, well, I think this is what this is. Um, Everybody gets a fresh start to the third and fourth generation. It's always a new beginning with the Lord. And the mercies that God has for you are for you. Um, Sometimes we reap the benefits of someone who was obedient to God in our ancestry. You know, Um, we have a little carryover spiritually in the sense that um, maybe your parents raised you in the ways of the Lord because their parents raised them in the ways of the Lord. Whether we follow those ways or not or obey those ways, That's up to us, but at least we start off with a really good start, you know? And I see that here. Even though his dad did not end well, Uzziah starts off at the age of 16, by the way, and he does well, as long as he's obeying God, as long as he's obeying God. So verse 1, now, all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. That's a long one, isn't it? His mother's name was uh, uh, Jechaliah of uh, Jerusalem. Probably not how it's pronounced, but it's close. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And that's a Bible study in and of itself, and and enough for the week, probably for us. And as long as he sought the Lord, as long as he desired God's will on earth, in his life and in the life of the people that he ruled over, he prospered. And that's that's a consistent message throughout the scripture. 
you're obedient to God and you do well. And by prospering, yeah, they are talking about physical prosperity, but I think it's spiritual as well as emotional and everything that goes along with or anything that you can prosper in is from that obedience to God. I think he can bless our health in some ways. Not always. I'm not saying anybody that's sick is just being disobedient to God. Don't misunderstand me. But I think there's some wisdom in obeying God's word when it comes to overindulging in certain certain areas, you know, uh, eating in moderation, giving thanks for everything, you know. Um, so I think physically he can give us health by being obedient to him. I think emotionally he can when we start understanding that we need to dwell on those things that are lovely. And all of a sudden our attitude and our heart and our mind begin to soften and change and it affects the people around us. I think that helps also, keeps us from depression and anxiety. I think physically or, you know, uh, the actual tangible things, I think he can bless us and prosper just by being wise. Don't, don't be unevenly yoked with an unbeliever, those kind of things in business dealings. And so pray about things before you do them and let God lead and guide you. And I think he can prosper you there as well. Don't be greedy, you know, be very generous. He's called us to that. I think that blesses us that way. And then of course, spiritually being obedient to God and close to him with your ears open to the Lord, you're going to prosper. You're going to grow. You're going to have peace in your heart. You're going to lay down on a soft pillow each night. Um, There's nothing like it when you have that forgiveness from God, when there is no shame, when there is no um, threat of uh, judgment over you anymore. There's a peace that can come that can come no other way but through Jesus and an understanding of how God feels about you. And so as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. A couple verses, Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, in the next section of scripture here, it's going to talk about a couple of the enemies around them, just bringing tribute. What that means is we're not at war with you. We're actually submissive to you. We recognize that you have authority, um, that you're walking with the Lord, and they just send them a little something every year, a little tribute, a little money. You know, however that form comes, could become grains or or actual cash or whatever from gold and silver. But when your ways please the Lord, even your enemies really don't want to mess with you, you know, is the idea. It doesn't mean that they like you any more than they ever have before. It doesn't mean that all your enemies are going to become your friends. That's not not a promise in Scripture. Um, But it does mean that they'll be at peace with you. They're not going to be trying to stab you, basically. Jeremiah 29.11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. His thoughts are for us. He wants to prosper us in all these things. And I'm not talking about prosperity doctrine. Don't get me started on that. People get sick. Um, people lose a lot of money. But Paul learned to be abased and he learned to abound. That, that, that doesn't have any bearing on your spirituality, on how much your bank account is or any other, or any other uh, area of your life. But there is that to know that God has that thought towards you, those ideas for you. I'm a God who's not looking for you to fail so that I can throw the hammer down on you. I'm actually for you and I'd like you to do well. And I'm giving you everything I can give you. If you listen to do well, you know, I give my kids lots of advice, you know, too much advice probably sometimes. Um, And sometimes when they listen and, and, and say, yeah, I think I'm going to take that advice and they do it. And, and, and if my advice was correct and biblical, it, it goes well for them, you know. 
Um, and sometimes maybe they didn't take my advice and they thought they'd do it their own way, and that's fine. They're individuals. They can do whatever they want to do. Well, sometimes it doesn't go well for them. You know, My heart is always for my kids, though. I don't give the advice because I want to lord over them or because I want to be the boss. or because It's because I see an opportunity for them to do well in a certain area. Maybe if they tweak this area of their life a little bit, man, you could really shoot to the stars, you know, kind of thing in this area. God's heart is always for us. It's always, his heart is always for us to do well. And his, his, uh, his word that is for us, written for us, I mean, he didn't have to do any of this. He, he wrote this for us to do well. That's the only purpose we have this, is for us to get to know him and to obey him and to have the best life we could ever have and live forever with him, you know? And I think when we get that in our hearts about how the Lord, when he shows us an area then that maybe we don't want him to touch, but he feels it needs to be touched by him, knowing that that, that Jeremiah 29, 11, that his heart is for me, I can receive that better. You know how some people just give advice, so maybe me, you know, uh, to you, and you're like, I don't exactly know whether you're for me or against me, JD, you know. You, I don't know about. I don't know your heart. I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. You know, there's this attitude towards a car salesman or a real estate agent at times um, of, I'm not so sure you're looking out for my best interest, you know, because I've had experience in the past where the person wasn't looking out for my best interest. And so then you always go kind of cautiously towards that advice. Well, thanks for giving it to me, but I think I'm going to do the exact opposite. With God, we don't have that problem. He has nothing to gain from us. His thoughts are always for us. It's always for our benefit. Verse 6. Now he went out and made war against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabna, and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians who lived in Gerbaal. And against the uh, Munites, I think that's how it's pronounced. Also, the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. That's a good thing if you stay humble when that happens to you, you know? It's a bad thing when you begin to believe that the things happening in your life or the the state of the country that you're ruling over is blessed because of something you did or because of your moves, not just simply because you've been obeying God. It's almost foolish to say, man, was that a, was that a great move or what? Didn't you pray about that? I did. And God showed me. So God did that then, right? You just did what he told you to do. Well, yeah, but I mean, somebody had to obey him. It was me, you know, kind of thing. Um, that's where he's headed. If you, if you didn't catch that, you know, he's headed towards pride. He's headed towards taking the credit for the fact that he's strong, the fact that he's being blessed, the fact that he's prospering, um, and he's, he's receiving the credit. He's receiving the glory, and, and that's one thing God doesn't share. Not, not because he's an egotist, but because it's not good for us to begin to take glory from God or that's meant for God and apply it to our own lives or take it upon ourselves to receive it. It's not good for us. We're not made for that. We're made to worship, not be worshiped. Um, we do really bad when we begin to get worshiped and uh, in our own lives, in our own minds, in our own hearts, you know, um, things go south really quick and they do for him. 
we're warned about this. Um, uh, in Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 through 24, sort of a long cross-reference, but important. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. And he's speaking about this angel. This is Jesus in the Old Testament, leading and guiding the nation of Israel to their promised land. God's warning them. I want you to listen to him. I want you to obey him. Um, and things are going to go well for you if you do, but they're not going to go well for you if you don't. And so he's just letting them know right away, this is what needs to happen. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. I'll give you victory. Now, we don't have that necessarily going on in our lives. I don't have a bunch of Hivites and Hittites living around me in my neighborhood. You know, none of us do. Well, maybe you do. I don't know. You might call them that. They might be interesting folks. But spiritually speaking, this is more along the lines of sin in our lives. See, the intent in Exodus chapter 23 was for God to prepare the nation of Israel to completely cleanse the land. The promised land that I want to give you, I want it completely cleansed. I don't want anybody left over in there that brings sin because you'll pick it up and it'll come back to bite you. And so I want you to remove all these people. And my angel who's going with you, Jesus in the Old Testament, will drive them out from before you. And he goes on in that same chapter to describe, I'm going to send hornets. I'm going to do all these things till pretty soon they're all evicted. And you're going to be the only ones living there. And boy, you're going to have peace because you've done what I've asked you to do. Now, they didn't do that, did they? They made treaties. They made agreements with these people. They didn't drive them out. They said, well, you can live over there. Or you can serve us and make, you know, cut wood for us or different things. But they didn't do what God said. They made, a, they made a pact. They made a compromise. And they left these civilizations in their area, and they weren't supposed to. And when God calls us and shows us an area of our life, an area of sin... He wants that completely driven out of our lives. I don't want you to make agreements with it. I don't want you to make room for it. I'm going to send Jesus in ahead of you, and he's going to completely drive them out of your life if you'll let him, if you'll obey my voice. I want them completely gone, but I don't want them hanging around because they will come and come back to bite you if you don't completely remove them. You cannot compromise in this area. These have to be completely cleansed. When Christ comes into my heart, he wants all of it, he shares none of it. And not because he's just prideful and wants it all. Because he knows that these ites in my life, the sin in my life, is going to do nothing but harm me and harm the people around me. And so don't make any agreements. They have nothing to offer you. They have nothing to make your life better. They don't. They, they will tell you they will. All sin tells you it's going to be great. And that it's a way of improvement or to gratify, or whatever it may be. Remove it completely, God says. And so that's what this, guy, this kid's doing. He's got a standing order from God, clear back from Exodus, and this is thousands of years later, or a thousand years later maybe, not even that, probably a couple hundred, maybe 800 years later, they're still driving out these people. So he's got a standing order. Now God didn't, he didn't pray about it. Should I drive out the Philistines and all these? 
No, you can do that anytime you want. You don't have to ask. I've already given you permission to get rid of all the ites. So if the ites are still hanging around, make war with them anytime you want, and I will be with you, he says. God helped him against the Philistines because God doesn't like the Philistines in their area. God will help you with your sin. He helps me with my sin. Maybe I've made agreements in the past. Maybe I thought I'd driven them out, but I left a little bit of root, you know. And it's beginning to grow back in my life. And you got to check your lawn every once in a while, don't you? And check to see if the dandelions are coming back. And, and, and I don't mean to pick on poor dandelions. They're actually really great weed to eat, apparently. I've been reading about them. You can eat them all, every bit of them. They're really healthy for you. Whatever. My grandpa went out with his screwdriver every day, and he just walked his lawn. And God forbid there should be a dandelion sticking up. He popped that baby out and pulled it up. And that's what I got to do for him. Here's a screwdriver, get all the, get the root, the whole root, he'd say. Of course, I didn't, because I'm a little kid, and I pop it off, and as far as Grandpa knew, there wasn't anything there, but, you know, you leave that root in there. This is important. Listen up, okay? I know you're all like, great, weeding. Calvary Chapel weeding 101. Well, sin's like that. It's hard not to put, you know, it's like that. Visually, you can inspect the yard, and somebody's yard looks absolutely perfectly green. There's not a yellow dot on it. Wow, look at that. But there's roots out there that they didn't take care of, and next, and there they come again, and there they come again. And then you got the neighbor's yard next to you, and they don't do anything about their dandelions, and those seeds blow into your yard, you know? And that's what it's like living next to, you know? And so they've got standing orders for these Philistines, and God says, I will help you. I want them completely God. God wants that in our lives. All the sin gone from our lives. Verse 9, And Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem and at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the corner buttress of the wall. And then he fortified them. Also built towers in the desert. He dug many wells, for he had much livestock, both in the lowlands and in the plains. He also had farmers and vine dressers in the mountains and, uh, and in Carmel, for he loved the soil. Just a blessing, you know. This man, as he's obeying God and, and, and everything, and he's doing what he's supposed to do, and God is prospering him, the whole nation is benefiting from this obedience. Now, whether they're following God or not, whether they're still going to the high places or not, really not spoken of in this chapter. They could be. I don't know. But he is obeying God, and he is being blessed, and the people are being blessed also. The the the, the national uh, treasury here in the form of farms and, and cattle and all is growing exponentially and being blessed. And he's thinking about them. He's, he's not thinking about himself only. He's building towers. He's fortifying. He's making it stronger for them, more protection, you know, just a beautiful example of it. And, and wouldn't you love for it to end right there? I'm telling you, this is where you want to stop reading the chapter. Yes, you know. And then he died and went to his father's and the next kid did the same thing like his dad and they just obeyed God and everything went like God wanted to. That's how it's supposed to read. There's always these, like in verse 16 when we get there, but, but, it didn't stay that way. Verse 11, moreover, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies according to the number of their role uh, as prepared by Jael the scribe, and uh, Messiah, the officer under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. The total number of chief officers of the mighty men of valor was 2,600. 
And under their authority was an army of 307,500 that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Then Uzziah prepared for them, for the entire army, shields, spears, helmets, body armor, uh, bows, slings to cast stones, and he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. Helped by who, right? Helped by God. Marvelously helped. You got some really cool stuff there. I mean, for the most part, these soldiers would often go in and, you know, have to share a spear or maybe, maybe only the leaders got the spears or the swords. We read that several times throughout Israel's history. We got, we've got like 27, we used to have a lot of gold shields. Now we've got a, a few bronze shields and now we've got like one sword kind of thing. And they go out to battle that way with what they had. And this king was being obedient to God and God was blessing the nation and the, the walls are getting fixed. Now everybody's fully armed. That's just nice to go into battle, fully equipped. You know, he was looking out for their lives. He could have just used them like, you know, throwing, throwing water at something so that it just eventually wears out, just throwing men at it until he wears down the other army, you know, sacrificing their lives. But no, he had value for their lives. He wanted them to survive this and to do well. And so he gave them helmets and body armor and, and so on. So they can continue to do their job with all the equipment necessary. You know, what a blessing that was. Making sure that the people around you are well-equipped. Not always the case, can't always do it, but this time he does. Now, Proverbs 16, 18, it says this, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That proverb is written and immortalized in God's word because it's very common. And it's something every one of us needs to know and remember. That pride goes before destruction and that a haughty spirit before a fall. And if we could remember that and keep that in our hearts and maybe read that every single morning, put it on our mirror, it might help us not go down that road of pride, not go down that road of having a haughty spirit. Because I don't want to fall and I don't want destruction in my life. But that's what will happen if I let pride or a haughty spirit worm its way in or root itself into my life. Verse 16, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Now, that's a hard thing to say. That's why they call them valiant men. I don't know that these guys were tough. They're just priests, you know. Could have been five foot two, 115 pounds for all we know. Being valiant has nothing to do with size or skill with a sword. It has to do with standing up for what's right. That's valiant, you know. 80 men show up and say, King, you're not supposed to be here. Now, this is the king that's led the entire nation into prosperity. That's actually fortified everything, beaten all the enemies. But he's doing something wrong here. 
as a king, he's not allowed to do that portion. That's not his responsibility. That's not his call. In fact, it's forbidden for the kings to be doing these things. It's only for the priests, only the ones God has chosen to do this. You can't just walk in here and do this. That's the point. See, remember what the priesthood represents. Remember what the temple represents. The, the priests are types of Christ. The, the, the temple is heaven, you know, and they're busy interceding on behalf of the people. And nobody, king or the poorest guy on earth, cannot come into that temple without a sacrifice offered up by the priest. There is no way. And so they're ruining this picture. This king walking into this, this temple is ruining this picture and saying, I can go in without the priest. I can offer up my own prayers and sacrifices. I don't need an inter- a mediator. I can do this. No. Now he gets rebuked by these 80 guys, and that's a good thing to have men like that in your lives, to have women like this in your lives, to stop you and say, I know that God is blessing you, and I know that you're doing everything that's right in the Lord, but what you're about to do right now is sin, flat out. Now, it's a big sin. I think we need to be careful that we don't step into people's lives and say, I've been micromanaging your life from a distance here, armchairing, you know, your life. And I noticed that you're wearing this, and I don't think you should wear that. That's not what's happening here. This guy is literally going without a mediator to God, thinking his righteousness is enough for him to go to God, and nobody's is. So someone who's doing well, renounces Christ and thinks they're going to get into heaven. This is the, this is the similarity here. This is the comparison. If you're walking with the Lord, he's blessing you. And all of a sudden you decide, I don't need the Lord. I can do this on my own without God. I can get to heaven without the Lord. I don't need to go through Jesus. I don't need Christ in my life. Then you need 80 people to show up and say, you cannot do this. You're wrong. It's a big sin that's happening here. You know, and he calls them on it. Now, he has an opportunity between verses 18 and 19 to hear this rebuke, this correction, this exhortation, however you want to word it, from these men in his lives, and they all agree, and that's a, that's a big red flag when you have 80 people that all see the same thing in your life. Hmm. Not just one person. There's a lot of critics out there. But 80? I probably should pay attention. 80 of the holiest men in my life see this going on. Hmm. You know? He's got a chance. Saul had the same problem. If you remember King Saul, the first king of Israel, was doing fine, but only because God was with him. Remember when they first found Saul and they wanted to make him king, he was hiding because he didn't want the coronation. He didn't want the crown at all. So he was hiding in the luggage, it said, or in the baggage, it said over there. And they had to go find him and drag him out and say, you're the new king. And he's like, "Mm, you know, okay. kind of, I guess, get this dopey view of Saul for some reason. I guess so. Well, things went well for Saul, but because God was in his life and because God was blessing him and he began to take that on himself, he had this guy named Samuel, the prophet, um, who would help him and and give him and, and tell him what God has to say and all that. And he was supposed to be waiting for Samuel to offer up the sacrifice because Samuel was the holy guy. The king was just the... Well, the political leader, two different things. They were never meant to be matched up. The only time these two ever, these two offices, king and priest, get blended is with Christ. It's the only time they were ever allowed to be blended together where you could have a king and high priest. 
and that's through Jesus, and that's the Messiah, and that's what everybody was waiting for. Up until then, you kept it separate, you know. And so Saul, in, in 1 Samuel 13, says this, for as for Saul, he was in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and a peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now, it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, I, when I saw the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed uh, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down uh, on me at Gilgal. And I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. He's really throwing it on him. You, didn't, you weren't here on time. We didn't know what to do. I just thought we'd better do it. Mm. Samuel says, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. He is out. He just lost the throne right there. No. It says, I waited and waited and waited, and you never came, and I offered, and then he, Samuel shows up right when he's done. You know? We need to be careful about that also, I think, in our own lives. We pray, we pray, we pray. Well, I haven't heard from the Lord, and I had to make a decision, and so I just I made the call. I asked God, and he didn't tell me, so I just went ahead and did it. And then maybe the next day you would have got the answer. I Wait on the Lord. We can't wait too long for him, you know? Wait on the Lord. Let him give you the answers. Well, back to our second Chronicles, uh, back to that chapter here. You've done foolishly, they said. Then Uzziah became furious. He didn't have to. He could have become humble. He could have become grateful, glad. You're right. What am I doing? I just got caught up in it. I mean, I just kind of, I was excited. I wanted to worship God here. Here's the censer. You take this, the incense back, and I'm going to go back outside slowly. You know, that's how it should have gone down. Just receive the rebuke. What are you doing? You're not supposed to be here. You're right. He doesn't. Then Uzziah became furious. He had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead was, uh, he was leprous. So they thrust him out of the place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Fifty-two years later, this guy's got it in his heart that it's because of him that the nation is where it is, the prosperity is because of him, and that he's going to go ahead and do this offering and this burning of the incense and not supposed to. He had it in his heart that it was him. That's a real danger for us. Years and years of success with God, and then we stop giving credit to God and start taking credit for it ourselves. We have to be careful. That anger that 
he has towards someone who corrected him. I, I, I don't blame him to be, if I'm going to be honest in front of everybody, I don't think anybody in this room likes to be rebuked or corrected. I don't. I don't. I mean, flat out. I think I'm happy later. You know, I think I immediately bristle. What are you talking about? You know, who are you? And I start thinking of all the things I should tell them, you know, kind of thing. That's the first thing that goes through my mind, honestly. And then it, it, I don't, hopefully, keep those things in my head. They swirl around for a while until God just steps in by his spirit and says, you better listen, you know. Yeah, I guess. I guess. And then you know. You don't guess anymore. And then you chew on it a little bit. And then you digest it, and then you realize, you go back to that person, you know, thanks. Thanks. I know that must have been really hard for you to come up and talk to me about that. Um, that's not fun for anybody to be on that side of things either. Some people like it. <laughs> you can kind of tell they get a kick out of it. Um, but for other people, it's a real hard step for them to actually look you in the eye and say, hey, I, I think the world of you, and I think that God is really a blessing in your life, and I know that I've been blessed by your life. But what I'm seeing happening right now, you've forgotten Christ. You've left your first love. That's a hard thing to say to somebody, you know, to be that person. And we need to be those people. Now, it doesn't have to be hard if we're prepared in our hearts all the time. Just have that in our hearts. If I'm humble, I can receive correction. If I'm humble, then people can approach and talk to me, you know. If I'm prideful, mm, you know. Now, there's a distinction between critics and people who are really looking out for your best interests. Critics, you do kind of be, got to be careful of that, that you're not compromising just because someone doesn't like this or doesn't like that or doesn't like this about you. Well, okay, I'll take that criticism, but I got to match it up with God's word and make sure that it's actual sin and not just a personality conflict that we have. You don't like the way I said it. I'm sorry. Tone is not, you know, I can't worry about tone. Um, harsh, okay whatever. Um, sin is sin though. That's a, that's a different deal. And, and it needs to be biblically documented that it's sin, you know, and this is what's happening to this King right now. These 80 men come up and say, what are you doing here? Nobody comes in here and does this. And just because you're King doesn't mean that you can do this. You know, this is for, this is for us to do by God's command. Um, Ephesians, well, let's see what I want to do. Yeah, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. In the New Testament, we've got the same kind of situation, not really, but it says that Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That may be a strange reference and maybe a little bit of a stretch to apply it to this text. But I think in my own life, when I've stepped out from what God's called me to do and equipped me to do and gifted me to do, I fail. I just do. When I try to step out and do something different, like I, just, I think I could do that. If God isn't with me and God hasn't called me to do that, I can't do that. And it's obvious by the time I'm done that I shouldn't have been anywhere near that, whatever that is, you know. And so I think it's important that we know as new believers, new, new Testament believers in Jesus, what God has called us to, what he's equipped us for, and what our mission is. You know, I can see churches and sometimes I get not envious, but like, oh, well, we could do that. That church over there is doing that. You know, well, I think we could do that. Maybe we should try that. Fails terribly. 
because that's a ministry God wants them to do. See, the body of Christ, we really got to get this in our heads and in my head also, the, the Calvary doesn't need to be doing everything in the kingdom of God. It needs to do the things God has called it to do in the kingdom of God. And let that part of the body of Christ do what it's called to do in the body of Christ. And that body of Christ. And I can rejoice with them for their outreach in this area. And I can send people to that outreach in this area. And they're doing such a great job with missions over here, maybe. Go, you should go on a missions trip with that. We ought to be able to do that, you know. But when we think we have to have this, um, this tent with everything going on at the same time, well, we're really, really divided and maybe not doing our strongest thing in that area that we're called to do it in, you know. Um, we've divided ourselves so much that we're not doing anything well. You know, we're, we're, we're too spread out. We're not, and we're not gifted. We're, it's really striving, you know. And so that's why I kind of added that. I could see that where this king is doing something he's not supposed to be doing. That's for the priests. And he doesn't, they don't need help. <laughs> that's what they do all day long. Let them do it, you know. Anyway, maybe. Um, take that for what it's worth. Now, um, Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12 says this, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son, in whom he delights. Correction's good. Correction's good. And I'm never too old to be corrected. I'm never too mature enough in the Lord that I don't ever have that coming to me or, or, or can't ever be corrected, you know. So when God corrects me, and I think that's the key, um, being open to God's correction, you probably won't have anybody come talk to you. Nobody, no people have to come tell you if the Holy Spirit is convicting you and you obey the Holy Spirit. If he had walked in with the censer and God said, don't do that, uh, and walked back out and put the censer down, there wouldn't have been 80 priests there. You know, but we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can prevent us, stop us, give us warnings before we go too far in an area. And if we just listen to him and turn around and just stop it, that obedient to him, you don't have to worry about people coming up and talking to you about certain things that you're blind to, you know, in your life. Um, so listen to the Holy Spirit. You, you will certainly get warned by the Holy Spirit long before anybody approaches you, a person. They're approaching you because God's like, hey, he's not listening to me. She's not listening to me. Will you go and talk to him? You know, but maybe he'll listen to you instead of me. Um, anyway, he'll do that. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as, a, as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed, uh, earthly parents, earthly dads, for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, Jesus, our Father in heaven, uh, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, amen, but painful, Nevertheless, afterward, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. And we've probably read that a hundred times, you know, in your own life. But it's just important to remember the fruit of that. The last part is the most afterward, after you receive that, although painful, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I want to be trainable. We want to be trainable. 
So, verse 22, back in the text. Now, the rest of the Acts of Uzziah, from first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, wrote, So Uzziah rested with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of burial, which belonged to the kings. For they said, He is a leper. Then Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. Leprosy is a funny thing. We've been talking about that on Wednesday, and it's interesting that it comes up in the text the very next week uh, on the next Sunday morning, leprosy. Um, It's always symbolic, for the most part, of sin. And it works just like sin. And if you understand the leprosy and how it it affects, you'll understand how how sin affects you in your life spiritually. And it's the same. You can't avoid it. Leprosy is a bacterial infection of the nerve, of the nervous system. It begins to deaden and kill those nerves. And so you can't feel things towards the tips of your fingers, nose, things like that, feet. And it works its way through the body kind of thing. And that's why you see amputations and things of the digits and of appendages because they can't feel it when they're burning or when they're getting hurt and and, and things are happening to their skin or to their bones or anything. They can't feel that anymore. So they don't pull back. They become dead. They're desensitized to the things that can cause them harm, which is exactly what sin does. You know, got to tell every toddler in the world, don't touch that, it's hot, right? And as soon as you tell them, don't touch that, it's hot, what is the first thing they do? What do you, how hot, you know? And they touch it. Oh, but they'll, they'll never do that again, is the idea, or you don't think they will anyway, on purpose. They learned, because that sensitivity was so intense. Oh, that's hot. Yeah, it'll really hurt you. I don't want that, you know. But you get older and older, you get a little less or a little more complacent about your safety, a little, you know, that happens on every job site. That's why we have those OSHA meetings every quarter or whatever. You get a little lax in your safety. You don't hook on like you're supposed to. You don't do this because you think it's faster or whatever, and sure enough, someone gets hurt because they didn't obey the safety rules. They weren't watching. They got a little lax in guarding themselves and protecting themselves. That's, that's what sin does. It begins to desensitize us to our sin, to the effects of the sin in our lives. Interesting thing about leprosy is you don't really get it from being in contact with somebody for the first time. You have to be around them for a long period of time, and it eventually will begin to affect you as well. It's a, it's a slow-moving bacteria or virus. I don't know which it is. I think it's a virus, but it's the same thing really. It's a slow moving thing. And uh, that's sin as well. You know, the more you hang around with that, the more you're around it, you become desensitized to it. And all of a sudden it begins to take, you begin to take on those same characteristics. You begin to do the same things. It begins to desensitize you to those areas. And when you're desensitized to something, you don't know it. It takes someone to tell you that you're just that you're, you're 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 not seeing it. You're desensitized. Someone else with sensitivity has to show you that, you know, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so we need to really pay attention. Like I don't feel it. I don't feel like it's hot. I don't feel like it's hurting me. I don't think it's hurting anybody else. But if the Holy Spirit, who is holy and perfect, is telling you it is harming you, you are getting hurt, and you're hurting the people around you. I've got to listen to Him. Because he's the one that has a better perspective than I do, because I won't know it. You know? So when God tells us to remove sin in our lives, whatever that may be, boy, we've got to listen. We've really got to listen. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples that your 
you've laid out for us through these kings. And we want to do well. We heard this morning. We, he started well and he did really well until the end. And we don't want to be like that. Um, we don't want to succumb to our own pride and, and, and think that any of this, any of the blessing in our life is because of us, but it's, we give you all the honor and all the glory for it. Our relationships, our spiritual health, our mental health, our physical health, our, our prosperity in whatever way it came, Lord, or, or is coming into our lives, we, we recognize it's from you. You're the source in obedience to you. So we thank you for loving us so much that you'll lead us and show us the right way to go. Help us to obey you. Lord, bless these folks as they go today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.